0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio by David Moore, and we seem to be missing someone today. I'm I'm trying to think of what that might be.
1: Not lamenting his loss, we're just acknowledging that someone who oftentimes is here, oh. although last week he was only here in body and not really in mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was not. He was all over the map. That's our that's our <laughs> old pal Evan Grant. He is he is uh, not here. Let's just say that Evan, I don't want to give uh, all the uh, the burgers out there a heads up, but <laughs> he might be on vacation. He might not be. He might be coming back any second now. Uh, but at any, at any rate, Evan is not with us this week, and so we will not have a Rangers He might
1: podcast. be studying turf somewhere, as far as we know.
0: Yeah, the uh, the advantages the turf of turf over grass or making arguments for Michael Young to be in the uh, <laughs> Hall of Fame. Stop He's it. already done that, He'll I guess. Stop it. He's done that a couple of times. He's getting he's getting burned up on Twitter for that. <laughs> so, anyway.
1: And he says it's happened before. Bring it on. So, if you want to bring it on, do Evan Grant.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Go for it. That that, that whole argument about the, the, the Hall of Fame for me is is just not worth it. it you know, fans get so worked up about it. And, and, and as, as we talked about earlier, I, I rescinded my vote. I gave it back. Uh, I, it's just I, I don't feel like that's really the part of what we should be doing. You know frankly, I, I think our job is to report and write and and analyze and and you know and have opinions and all of that. but for us to be deciding that these guys are going to be in the Hall of fame I just I don't feel right about that I don't I don't feel you know these guys make careers and 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 sports writers are making judgments about guys in, in the steroids area in particular, you know and did they did they use or not? Well, I don't know. you know sometimes we we're pretty sure we're pretty sure that Barry Bonds did. Yeah. His head grew about three yeah, sizes. Like. Uh, Physical
1: changes, yeah, tend to suggest that that's that right. Occurred.
0: Even though I would make the argument he was a Hall of Famer before he started using, sure. he's a yeah. three-time and MVP, stuff. and that's almost unprecedented for a guy that would, well, it would be unprecedented a guy with with three MVPs who wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. So, but then Rafael Palmero, who would have guessed that he was using steroids? Not not a ripped guy at all, you know, or, or using something, you know, and that's what he tested positive for. So I, I just in don't In any
1: sport really. How whoever whoever you. Invest with that responsibility. You can argue, you know, should they, do they have an agenda? Do they not have an agenda? Yeah. And at least I think that the sports writing community, just by the nature of what it is, should have less of an agenda than many other constituencies that you could inv- you put in there.
0: Absolutely. But you know I, and I and I say it I feel like a hypocrite because I do vote in other things as a as a baseball writer. I do uh, uh, vote for things like manager of the year, mm-hmm. you know, rookie of the year. Well, those things they get they get bonuses for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm helping to determine these guys getting money, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, well, they that's, help determine you getting money by their quotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they keep me employed. It's a great point. I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on from that. Uh, that's, that's Evans, uh, Bailiwick now. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about the Cowboys and we'll talk about this, uh, this whole issue of whether they're gonna actually name a, a coordinator anytime, you know, maybe in this month, this off season.
1: Maybe before the show's over. <laughs>
0: maybe before the show's over. That'd be great. Uh, and, and then I'd like for us to get into a little bit too about the the whole controversy in the NFC championship sure. game uh where you where you where you could have a guy get lit up uh, and and the balls and there's those great pictures
1: there are two or three different calls that could have been made there Oh my
0: gosh helmet to helmet he gets hit early I mean in the ball there's a great picture where the ball is Seven eight feet <laughs> from the guy, yeah. and he is getting his clock cleaned. You know, it's it's just. And there are other photos of two officials on either side of the play, watching right that play. Yeah. It's just kind of like they were just watching. You know, I, I do and as th- soon
1: as one signals, then the other signals are delayed right after. You that. know, and, it was a response,
0: I, don't, I I notice that a lot. I've been watching officials. More. I've always most of my career trying not to blame officials for things. You know, because I just feel like yes. that's a that's oh, a, that's yeah. cheap. You know, to do that. But I, I have not lately noticed more often. You know watching the, instead of one one official will watch them and then he'll look at the other official, you know, and they'll look back and forth at each other mm-hmm. and then finally somebody will signal something. And it's like, why wouldn't you just go ahead and signal? If you believe this is what happened, why don't you make a signal here, you know? Yeah. And it kind of, to me, that doesn't help when you do things like that.
1: Well, it doesn't, but but in the moment, I think you feel... I mean, it's all happening so fast to you. I think you look over, you see the play, you look at the other guy, and he's already started, and so you kind of start just as yes. a reflex. Yeah, well, I, I agree. And then e- even if you agreed with the play or not, you're you're kind of starting as a reflex, and you go, oh, wait, do I stop now? What I mean, it's – so I, I think a lot of it is human. No matter what your training is, once you see someone as part of your crew who you trust start to make a call, you're probably going to – Trust them that it's the right call, and you start to do it right. to kind of echo and support. And yeah. then you're going like, "Oh, well, wait a minute, is this what? What am I agreeing to here?"
0: Well, and, and I think, and I think a couple of things happen here. I think clearly in these games they decide we're going to let the players play. You know, uh, I think in, in both games you saw that there was a lot, you know, a lot of rougher stuff. There were several times where their helmet, to helmet plays and and even the announcers weren't saying anything about it you know and i thought meanwhile during the regular season they're they're whistling that play left and right and then all of a sudden we get into the championship game no 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 we're not going to call that anymore Mm -hmm. you know i just thought that that was ridiculous i also have a problem this is more in baseball than it is in football i also have a huge problem with people saying uh but this is just part of the human element of the game when i don't want the human element of the game from the officiating i because no one cares about seeing the officials right you know, I want the human element. It, it's you want like a
1: fair and level playing field. You don't want uh, an incorrect call. You don't want you. You can say you want the human element in it, but. You don't, and that's why you have technology to address certain issues that can be addressed.
0: Yeah, here's what here's the human element of the game. D Ford lining up about five yards offside, and you know for the for the Chiefs, and essentially costing them that game. Yeah. Now that's a human element. That's a that's a player making, which is the dumbest penalty in football, lining up offsides. Mm. Uh, But that's a that's a human element of a guy making a mistake that costs his team the game. Okay, that's the kind of thing that, that goes down in NFL lore. To me, not officiating, not umpiring, not any of that. And so, to me, the more we can get technology involved uh, in umpiring and officiating, the better. I'm, I'm all for it. You know, we've, we've got these, we've got lasers, you know, that they, they use out there now to determine where the, you know, line of scrimmage is so, so the viewers can see that. They need to be doing all these kind of things. Just in the in the course of officiating these games, I I think, and and I would expect something to happen.
1: Sports, you know, you have again, you have the lasers to see the outback, which were always very contentious. Yes, when it was done by the eye, and and again, there are some. And again, I I was fascinated uh, uh, in that also in the Chiefs game on the Edelman punt. Yeah, you know where they showed about ten different angles. Yes, and it just shows you how close I mean literally that ball was within
0: oh an inch of him
1: What an inch to three inches of him not only his hand and his thumb but then his bicep as it went by right and it, so it's just when you're that close and something like that can determine uh, who goes to the Super Bowl and, and a legacy look I mean you know there's a good chance that New Orleans never gets back to a Super Bowl with Drew Brees and Sean Payton.
0: Absolutely.
1: So again, you're talking about their legacy and the franchise legacy and uh but yeah, that that non-call in that position the, and the way the officials were positioned I I'm like you. I, I'm one that I usually back off when people just you know r- you know lay into the officiating and how it cost a team a game because um, everyone views it from a, from their agenda and their perspective, right. and and yeah, it may have been wrong, but it was also open to interpretation a lot of times, and and you could understand how it happened, and it's not like there was a vendetta against that team, but but this was egregious, oh, in in, in the miscalled wide play. open, and, and this was yeah, I mean, and because again, you know, my initial response was, well, which one? I mean. You can call two separate penalties on right. here, but clearly this is this is a penalty, right? And then when nothing was called, I mean, it was just amazing.
0: Well, I I think in in that uh, in that moment, I think that this is one of those things where I, I I believe that they were told, listen, we're gonna let these guys play. It's playoffs. It's a big game. We're gonna let them play. Well, they a usually bit. do that. And they usually do it. in basketball they do that. In any any sport, generally speaking, they do that. But that
1: shows the other side of it. You can't lay out completely, and no, let them play
0: and then go and not call. Oh my God. So
1: obvious, but and again, people are saying like, well, the Saints didn't lose the game because of that, uh because look at their they should have scored a touchdown in the red zone earlier. they were only you know two of four and the two of five in the red zone. They didn't do this, didn't do that i I understand all that and and that's the argument I usually make when teams point to like one call, but, right. but when it was mm-hmm. this egregious. At this point in the game, where when they got that first down there, all they would have done was run three plays, run the clock down, burn it out, and then kick a field goal to win it and right. not give the Rams enough time to have the ball back to do anything with it. Yeah. That while while – I guess you, the argument would be while this, while this call didn't make them lose the game it prevented them from winning it when they clearly would have won it. Oh, yeah. Well, so. even,
0: even even the defensive back said that. Yeah, he, <laughs> he said, said that, he went to
1: lit him up because <laughs> he knew he was beat.
0: Yeah, and he said, and they would have won the game. Yeah. And that's what he said. He didn't say, and it would have been closed or something like that. He said, no, no they would have won the game. Yeah. I, I, You know, and I, and I will say this, too, and I, I thought about this. Uh, uh, you know, I haven't – I'm sure the official's name is out there who's responsible. I have purposefully not said anything because yeah. in this era – and social media and the oh things gosh. that would happen. I yep. can't imagine what these these people's lives would, were going to be like. But you know, it, you know, I, I agree with you. That's the first thing I thought was, when, "How's Drew Brees going to get back here again?" You know, yeah. maybe maybe they're good now. Maybe if they are, so what? You know, this was maybe again, this was this a year. year. This was again.
1: They, <laughs> this was they're hosting year. the championship game. Yeah, there against a team they had beaten earlier in the year, and, and everybody, I mean, this was set up. I, they may get back to the Super Bowl. They won't be in a better position to do it than they no, were no, this, this year. Every, and, and again, jumping out to a 13-0 lead, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they will not be in a – again, it's kind of like when the Mavericks lost back, you know, when they played Miami. Like, my whole point was, maybe they get back, but they're not going to have a better path to get back than what they did on the one where they lost to Miami.
0: Absolutely. You know. 2-0. Something about a parade route there, too. <laughs> something, it, something I, think, about that. I may have written something about that. Um, so, anyway, all right. So, let's jump back over here to the Cowboys and talk about this whole situation with the coordinator zone. So, update us on this. Has uh, So, what's happened so far is that John Kitna is now the quarterback's coach. Is that correct? Can we, can we say that? He will be, that? yeah. He will be. He will be. Uh, but we still don't know. So, that means that Kellen Moore will not be back in the same position.
1: Not back in the same position, but they're still working through what the position will be. And he
0: will be back, though.
1: Yeah, he'll he'll be back, and it, it's just at this point, the question I think is whether will it be something along the lines of passing game coordinator, or will it be the offensive coordinator, and and how will this be structured? How much uh, more of a of, of a thumbprint will Jason Garrett have on this offense going forward? Yeah. Will he resume uh, play calling duly- duties, which he uh, was really coerced into giving up uh, right. earlier in his head coaching career? and um and and to me i think the other thing they're working through here too is you know at this point they haven't interviewed any external candidates now that could change later today on tuesday uh or wednesday because they'll be going to the senior bowl and there'll be other staffs yeah. out there and it's pretty easy to say hey can we talk to it's pretty easy to go to Sean pate and say hey you know can we talk to uh dan campbell over here since right. since he's you know at the bar with us you know right. and and do that so Um, but, but I'll say this, if, if you don't, if word doesn't leak out here in the next 24 to 48 hours that they're interviewing an external candidate, at that point, it's very clear to me what they're doing is just restructuring their staff and determining just what the roles are going to be.
0: Yeah. And that's because that's what I want to ask you about is, is is there the possibility that they're waiting for these teams to, you know, somebody on the Super Bowl team?
1: Well, you can still talk to them. I mean, you know, there's the window here. I mean, you could still.
0: Oh, I guess that's right. Yeah. I mean, you have two weeks. You could like
1: slip in if there's someone on the Ram staff, you could say, hey.
0: I guess all the Rams staff has been hired that you know, anybody yeah. really wanted.
1: Well, but they, they do have a they, they have a couple, they have a run game coordinator and a passing
0: game coordinator. Oh, is that uh, right? One, I yeah. didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. So two different guys.
1: Yeah. But but again, I, I get back to and this was the thing when everyone was um you know when when there's this bloodlust to 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 get rid of of sh- Scott Linehan and just going, oh, we got to get some fresh ideas in here. We get somebody from the Sean McVay tree. You get a a Cliff Kingsbury sort of guy, a young guy who's going to, uh, you know, you know, bring this offense kicking and screaming into into where the NFL is going now. My point is, you're clinging to an ideal of an offensive coordinator that, in no way, shape, or form, in practice, has a chance of succeeding here. Right um because you just can't take someone else's system, put it under Jason Garrett and say it's going to work. Um you know Bill Callahan calling plays here didn't work and his system was much closer to what Jason's is
0: right uh, than Sean McVay's or something like that. So And it's not just Jason, it's it's Dak Prescott, the quarterback. Yeah. You can't expect Dak Prescott to suddenly start throwing like Drew Brees or yeah. or even Jared Goff for that matter.
1: And look, this whole organization is invested in this Uh, this organization made the determination that we want to be built along the same lines that we were in the nineties. We're going to spend the number four pick in the draft on a running back. Uh, We're going to spend three first round picks and a couple of second round picks on offensive linemen. Um, They are, they were built to run this offense and, and this offense emphasizes the run. Now look, they can do some things differently with the run and get to runs and you know, Sean McVay, I think you saw in in that in that divisional round game with the motion they were doing, uh the misdirection how they got the Dallas defense the, the linebackers back on their heels and 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 biting on something that wasn't there. Which you the Saints do. didn't seem to have any problem with.
0: No, they did no. not. They did not. So.
1: And uh but uh so, you know, there are things you can do and look, the other thing like the Rams were doing Every time they ran was successful. They all these, you know, end arounds and, and uh, reverses and jet sweeps with receivers, all of those were picking up seven to nine yards right. too. Everything. Everything they yeah. did worked. Yeah. So you can do a lot with motion. You can uh you can show one thing and give another. I mean you can you can dress up a single play and give it three or four different looks before you get back to that play in order to get the defense off balance. So I, I understand the the, the the nuances of how you can change things up and and look, first of all, too, I I just think changing tendencies is is, is gives you a big strategic advantage. I, I think Scott Linehan's been around long enough; people knew his tendencies and and had a more of an idea for, for how to defend him. So, so so let me ask you this, because
0: yeah. I believe you reported this um, that Jason Garrett went to Scott late season, late in the season, in the season and yeah. said, hey. How about we how about we try to mix it up? Give me a little, a little more. Bit.
1: Give me a little more creativity here. Give me a little more unpredictability. So did
0: Scott just resist that or did he just not
1: No, no. And I think uh, you saw it late. You you saw them do a few things. You know, you saw uh an end around uh with Amari Cooper at one point. But if mm-hmm. you really looked, if that play would have developed differently, I think Cooper would have thrown the ball. Oh really? Yeah. So they were working on different things. Um but Again, look, Scott Linehan's offense, before he came to Dallas, uh, everyone makes a lot of, you know, and, and justifiably so, in his five years as offensive coordinator, uh, the passing game ranked anywhere between 16 and 27. Right. And it averaged 23, which is where it was this year. It was number 23 in passing yards. Now, people say, well, but look, they're a run-first defense. That's not how you gauge it. You gauge it on yards per pass and 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 I in efficiency and I agree completely under that metric Dallas was number 22 in yards per pass this year yeah. they were not as efficient as they needed to be in the passing game off of the dominant run game right it didn't they had to be more efficient as a passing team so uh, you had that but look before Scott Linehan got here he he spent four years as the defi- as the offensive coordinator in Detroit in that four-year span the Detroit Lions ranked number four overall in those four years in overall offense and number two in passing offense. Yeah, so
0: different. Let's make it
1: very clear: Scott Linehan was executing the offensive game plan that Jason Garrett wanted in place. He was working with the offensive constraints and parameters and expectations of Jason Garrett's offensive scheme. And that's what he did. He executed that as a, as a good soldier. Now, again, you can do some things schematically within that to free things up, which I don't know that they were doing. But, but Jason is very much of a guy that, look, uh, you know, are we really going to reinvent the wheel here? No. Those Cowboys teams that were so good, we had four or five plays, and people would mock us for it. And it was like, well, yeah, did you stop it? He is more about get something that works through execution, discipline, do it over and over and over, and that is what leads to success. And that that is a little too simplistic, but that is one of his overriding principles. And and Scott Linehan said, sure, because Scott Linehan, uh, I've talked to him before, he he likes things more simplistic in an offense. He says, you know— you can jazz it up too much. You want to keep it simple. You do variations off the simple things you do, but you don't want to keep changing. you go with what a player does best. Put him in that position time and time again. Give it a few different looks so the defense doesn't know, but let the player do what he does best time and time again. But like anything, you can boil it down and and make it too simple. and And I think this one, this cowboys offense got too simple. two, the personnel was not executing at a high enough level no. for it for this simplistic offense to work.
0: No, those are, you know, and th- this is not two thousand sixteen anymore. You know, you don't have Tyron Smith he clearly is not the same tackle yeah. that he used to be. Still very good. Still very good, but not but not before, a dominating. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> he's still a top ten guy. You can probably argue he's a top five to six guy. Mm. But is he like the best guy? Well now no. that was the argument two years ago. Sure. And, you know.
0: and across the offensive line, it's not the same. So, yeah. to me, that's the thing that is uh, indicative of Jason Garrett's problems as a whole, to me, as a head coach. He's just slow to realize things. He's just slow to realize, look, we're going into this season without Travis Frederick, you know, and we've got a rookie playing left guard. Can we really be that same team we were in 2016 where we're just going to line up and run over you? And 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 I think he, uh, when they got their backs against the wall this year, we saw the most creative offense, Right. You know, when when they you know, that's when he's going for it on fourth down. That's when he that's when he's, he's what he always does, yeah. He, he's trying to do things And and I think well, it is
1: going back to those three years they were, you know, eight and eight and then everyone was talking about how they don't play well in December. Then they go on, on the road in Chicago and he's going for it on fourth down right in the first quarter, he's doing this, doing that. Right. Uh you see a different coach in Jason Garrett in December. Than you
0: do the yeah, rest th- of the year. I think that I think that's right. So, so let's look at at, at what they do because I'm I'm like you, uh, and and I think Mike Fisher even tweeted this. He says I don't know how you know what kind of coach that uh, Kellen Moore is going to be, and and I think that's absolutely the truth. I mean, who knows? I don't know what kind of coach he can be. You know, if he is calling the plays or not. What I want to see is a coach who takes advantage of what Dak Prescott does and what he brings to the table. And and you know, I know it, you know, the the, the thinking is oh, you, you 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 don't want to expose these quarterbacks to too many hits and things like that. Of course, that's to me one of Dak's greatest qualities is his uh, availability. You know, he, he's, he he's, yeah. he's he's played every game, he takes the shots, he gets up, he's fine. You know, and I'm not saying that because of that that means you should do it more often, but I do think, you know, I, I, Bootlegs, you know, rolling him out. Uh, he's not particularly more accurate rolling out, but at least it gives the t- uh, the the defenses a different look when you do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and. Um, you know we saw that in the in the playoff game against Seattle you know the he only ran i think six times in that game for twenty nine yards but one of them was a 16 yarder that set up the touchdown yeah and that's all you that 's all i 'm asking him to do i 'm not asking him to run the ball ten or fifteen times a game you know I, I think six or seven times a game uh, in, in which you are where it 's not just him scrambling where it is a design play where or or running an option play and I realize that also exposes a quarterback to a you know you get a free shot on the quarterback and you run that option but i do think think that uh that this team has that ability to to do that this is the guy who did this in college Mm -hmm. I think these are the elements that you're trying to bring to the NFL is the the concept that, that coaches are using in college where they're so much more creative than they are in the NFL and that's the thing that kind of drives me crazy we're talking about having simplistic offenses right and these are guys who've been playing in the league for years and years and years and yet in college where these guys play four years, tops. Most of them are not playing four years, and yeah. most of them are lost on a roster where it's got 85 people on it. They're they're, they're running – first yeah. of all, they're running twice as many plays in a game as they are in the pros, and they're running probably twice as many concepts as they are in the pros. Mm-hmm. And yet they're able to do that and go to class too. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that they're going to class. <laughs> anyway.
1: Yeah, and again, it's – and, you know, I, I think – And a lot of times we probably do a disservice talking about these, uh, you know, cutting-edge offenses and old-school offenses and where the league is going. Because to me, where the league has gone offensively for for quite a while – look, I I think New England exemplifies this. Do you really say they're a cutting-edge offense with what they do? No. What they do is – they look for matchups and yes. exploit those matchups. That's right. And it may be maybe it's pounding the ball and running with you know with with traps. And, and, and at one point, maybe it's maybe it's uh, the intermediate passing. Maybe it's a short passing game. They they look for places in the defense to exploit and matchups to exploit and go for those matchups. And, and to me, that is what you do today. I, it doesn't it doesn't matter to me whether you do it whether you're throwing or. Pa- you know, running or, or throwing, you you look for the matchups that they give you an advantage. But but what Dallas has done too is like, and I think this is a pretty good example. Um, you know, Ezekiel Elliott was their leading receiver this year. Well, a lot of those were just default passes. A lot right. of those were check down. Okay, you know what? He's hanging here behind the the, the line of scrimmage. Let's up it down to him. Um, you know, he's still going to get. 3 4 5 yards. He won't get the first but we'll get a little more yardage here. or he was right at the line of scrimmage or 2 to 3 yards down the Look at how New England uses James White where he'll be he's running routes and he's 7 right. to 8 yards down the field. Alvin Kamara is 7 to 8 yards down the field. Um you know Todd Gurley is usually down the field more for the Rams and what you see. So and this is this is very simplistic. But what you've had too often with Dallas, and even when you utilize Elliott in the, in the passing game, is where you're giving him the ball, yeah, he's your best player, but he's still going to have to go through 11 defenders. Right. You know, at least if you're throwing three yards down the field, you eliminate your front four.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
1: so now you're going against seven guys. And and you know, you do it on a side of the field, so you take away two to three more on the other side. So it's all about getting the ball to your playmakers in areas where they have the fewest the best matchup, which a lot of times in, in the case of an Elliott would be the fewest number of of defenders. To beat to get yardage, and I just don't think that Dallas did a good job of that this year.
0: No, and I don't think they did a good job with you know. And we've talked about this before about the receivers and the routes that they run, and they make them get yeah. open. They're they're not give them any help. They're not running any rub routes. They're not doing anything yeah. where you set up natural picks, you know, for them, or they do it very rarely anyway. And I think back to your point, I think it's a great one that you made about the about the Patriots. So, so the greatest coach in the history of the NFL is looking ahead to the next team and deciding what we're going to do, and we're going to adjust to that. And meanwhile, Jason Garrett is saying, "No, no, we're just going to run our. We game. do what we do. We do we do what we do, and 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 that's okay. That's but that's so yes. much 1950s, 1960s college football. If we're going go to talk about college football, that, that's like, hey man, this is what we do, and you try to stop us if you can. Yeah. And and when you can do that, when you've got Superior, superior personnel, personnel. when yeah. you don't have superior personnel that's not possible now I, I think they are working their way up to having better personnel by by bringing in Amari Cooper yeah and doing those things and that's really and that really helped this offense immensely obviously because of his ability to get open and the fact that Dak liked throwing him the ball I, I tell you I had not watched Amari Cooper play very much after watching him play after he came to the Cowboys I outstanding thought outstanding route runner this guy is unbelievable
1: outstanding route runner. you know
0: and then the whole deal about him dropping football that's just because he's turning to to look you know it's not because he's got bad hands he's turning he was looking too quick to run that's why he was dropping footballs you know he's got he's got terrific hands
1: and and a lot of that i think is dropped in oakland people went back and looked at him. they were on those really short routes where they were all about run after catch yes and it wasn't you know he was actually breaking out he wasn't allowed to do what his greatest strength, which is run around. He was just like boom, flash open, get it here and yeah. go sort of thing. But when he actually runs around and creates a separation, you don't see a lot of drop balls from him there. I not, seen... not enough to where it's concerning, I don't think.
0: No, and we saw we saw defensive backs fall down trying to keep yeah. up with him on routes yeah. this year. He's just he's just tremendous to watch. Plus, he's a really smart guy. Mm-hmm. You know, a very interesting character. I I will be very interested to see how. His career develops with the Cowboys. Yeah. I would assume that that there's no way the Cowboys don't resign him and sign him to an extension. Resi-
1: they didn't give up a first round though. And got this production from him, not to resign. Him. No,
0: so that so that's going to happen, and in, in long term, it, we'll we'll see. But you know, he, he's he's big, he's fast, he yeah. runs great routes. I think he's got good hands. Uh, this is this is pretty much the, the complete package.
1: And he's the anti-receiver in a lot of ways. He's not flamboyant. He's oh my not, gosh! He doesn't call attention to himself. He just goes out and does his job, and which is interesting because now I can I can see where people would question his passion about football because he doesn't fit your stereotypical no. idea of he's not what the alpha an elite male. receiver is no. in the NFL.
0: Not the alpha receiver that you would expect.
1: Not an overly emotional guy, no. not no. But that doesn't mean he's not doesn't care he's not good at what he does, but it's just so many elite receivers call attention to themselves. The fact he doesn't, I think the more you watch it you go, oh, well, I wonder if he's really you know I, I think you probably equate passion and uh demonstrative behavior with that position more than some others. So when yeah. you don't see it, you kind of go, huh, I wonder about that guy.
0: Absolutely. All right, well, before we get out of here, I want us to kind of to, to firm up here so uh, what they're going to do or what you think they're going to do uh, on the coaching staff. So John Ketten is going to come in. We didn't even say anything about that, and I, I think that's probably a pretty good move. Uh, John was a pretty good quarterback uh, in the league. And uh, and seemed when I remember when he was here, seemed to be well liked. Uh, seemed to be a guy that got along with people. I think you need to. And he's been a coach himself. I mm-hmm. uh, was a very successful high school coach, and then he was a college coach, uh, assistant coach. Uh, I think he'd be a guy who could relate to Dak, and uh, and maybe get Dak to believe in some of the things that uh, he would like him to do. Uh, I think that's certainly to me, that's the key here is somebody working with Dak, you know, someone who can and reach him and, and make him understand what it is he needs to do. You know, we, we kept hearing about the, you know, we, we all know that Dak's biggest problem is his footwork, right? Mm-hmm. That's why he's, he struggles sometimes with his accuracy. Yeah. And Dak talks about that. He talks about that and yeah. yet it doesn't really change. And so to me, what that means is that, you know, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. You know mm-hmm. I know you you think that you need to do this we need to really work on this you know and this is what you really need to be doing these are the kind of things to me that are more important it's a lot like we talk about with the Rangers and what they're going to do with a new manager and I said that the, it was less to do it to me with the manager than what is the organization doing you know the organization needs to rethink the way that it is approaching you know the acquisition of talent the development of talent that's the biggest issue for the Rangers going forward because they don't have enough talent now for the manager to make any difference mm-hmm. so it doesn't really exactly. matter sure. yeah. so 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 what's, to me with the Cowboys right now, as you said, I don't expect them to bring in the next Sean McVay to be the offensive coordinator. That's not just not going to work with this quarterback unless it's a guy who recognizes the talents of this particular quarterback. Let's maximize what he can do. Let's figure out what he does best. Give him some more options and mm-hmm. more things he can do, and then we'll we'll go with that. But don't expect this offense to look like you know the Chiefs' offense, yeah. or or what the the Saints are doing, or what the Rams are doing. That's just not going to happen.
1: It's not. And and here's, and again, I, I think you're going to see Jason Garrett's influence probably reassert itself yeah. going forward here. And do so you expect him to be
0: calling plays next fall?
1: That's one of the things they're discussing and working through right now. Yeah. Um. You know, and here's another thing to say. I, I find this very interesting. It's. uh You know, you're already talking about a Sean McVay tree. You're already talking about (laughs) – That guy's like 25 years old. You're talking about, you know, Andy Reid. But look at all these people who are associated with offense around the league. Jason Garrett was an offensive coordinator when he took over this job. He was a play caller here. There have been 18 offensive coaches on Jason Garrett's staff during his eight-year tenure as head coach of this franchise – how many have left – how many of those offensive coaches have been hired and promoted on other teams in the NFL? How many are now running their own offense on other teams in the NFL? I don't, I don't think it's
0: – None. None. Because Todd Haley one. was before his time, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. The, the, the one person on the staff who has gone on to be a coordinator is Derek Dooley, who went back to college and is now the offensive coordinator at Missouri. I don't
0: think that counts.
1: That is the only – Member of Jason Garrett's offensive staff in eight years that is an offensive coordinator right now. So, it is what that, does that, that tell you? That tells you his staff. You know, here he talks about how he develops his culture uh, of the players and 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 the team has has gotten better. No course. but has he done a good job with his staff? And I would argue no. Now a lot of this was early. You were going with veteran coaches, Jerry. Jones wanted veteran coaches on Jason's staff because he didn't have much coaching experience and he felt that was needed. Right. And you you know that makes sense. I get it. Although I will say you can say the same about Sean McVay who, who yeah. was younger when he took over yeah. than Jason and he already has a coaching tree out there Yeah. and people already want to go after him. But uh to me that was understandable, but certainly if if Jared, if Jason's offensive concept was working to a high enough level and made enough sense, wouldn't somebody on his staff over the last eight years be in a position on another team to be implementing that offense? I think that's something that Jason Garrett and this organization needs to take a long look at uh, when they step back and see exactly where they are offensively.
0: I I think you're right, and I think a lot of it, too, has to do with the fact that it's, it tells you: Do other teams really want to run this offense?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: No. So they don't. They're not interested in this offense. This is not the way the league is going. It's a copycat league. We all know that. Sean McVay. You know, I I think to me the the thing that that makes Sean McVay look more like a genius than the fact that he can recite anything that happened yes. in the last fifteen years, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast. Uh, is that just what he did against the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. They came out and just ran the, ran the ball down their throats, yeah. you know, and they, did, and they did different things in this game, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, to me, that was the genius. It was like too many times we see when a guy is an offensive genius, it's because he throws the ball, A, and, and B, it's like, we're just going to keep doing that, you know. We're going to throw yeah. it no matter what. Well, he didn't do that in that game against the Cowboys. You know, Jared Goff was very, very, Yeah, if it had if been left up to, to Jared Goff in that game, the Cowboys would have won it.
1: And what do you hear Jason Garrett say all the time? We want to be built to win different ways. Well, the difference is they play the same way going into every game. Right. And then they want to be built to respond if needed. Yeah. Whereas, like you say, Bill Belichick in New England – uh, Sean McVay with the Rams they will actually play a different way going into a game to get right. a team back on its heels and I think these boys are big, a big difference
0: they're big enough and smart enough to be able to to account for that I sure. think these players are they or they should be if yeah, they're, if they're they not be. then you should be uh, drafting other people yep. all right so that should do it for our Cowboys podcast for today um, we're also going to have a Mavericks podcast we're going to have Brad Townsend in uh, to talk about the Mavericks and the- first I thought we had a
1: very good discussion there about the, the NFL and the Cowboys would Would
0: Evan have added anything
1: to that conversation? He might have
0: fallen asleep. You know, he's done that before. (laughs) Yes, on a on a uh, a YouTube uh, podcast, he's fallen asleep. I mean, you know, there's no explanation for it. I don't know. He just thought that maybe maybe the camera wouldn't see him sitting there with his you know his eyes closed. I don't know. I don't know. But at any rate, uh, Evan's having a great time on vacation, and we're having a great time here without him. That's right. So, for everybody here, to everybody out there, thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast.
0: Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z Podcast.
1: Until next time, sports fans,
0: we'll see you.